0: You know, what you want to look at is where your company is now on environmental and social issues that are critical to your business. Where are you today on the areas where you can really have the most impact?
1: You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to be discussing climate change. What is it is exactly, what are the different factors we should be looking at, and what should companies be doing about it? Joining me today is Paul Washington, the head of our ESG Center at the Conference Board. Paul, welcome. Great to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So, Paul, you can't pick up a newspaper or turn on the television these days without hearing about climate change. When you talk about climate change, what do you mean exactly?
0: Right. Well, climate change is um, is simply defined as long-term changes in temperature and weather patterns. But what people are really focusing on when it comes to climate change is global warming, is the, the Earth's surface temperatures getting hotter at an accelerated rate. So climate change is a broad topic, really the focus is on on global warming.
1: Yeah, now it's it's interesting because back in the 60s and 70s they were talking about climate change and global cooling and that we were going to have a new ice age. Right. You know, so how much of this is, you know, just driven by natural events and how much of it's human?
0: Well, there's a debate about which is bigger driver. Um, I mean, there's a consensus in the scientific community that more recently, um, human activity is the primary driver of global warming. But let me note some of the areas that are just natural, right? And, you know, they're, they're everything from changes in the energy emitted by the sun. Like we think of the sun as constant, but it isn't. And actually a fair amount of the warming that took place at the outset of the 20th century may well have been from from changes in the sun's output changes in the tilt of the earth that's that happens um that brings about ice ages right changes in ocean currents so think about the gulf stream that means that we've got palm trees growing in cornwall england right so as, as ocean currents shift, it can have a significant impact on climate, and then, of course, there are interactions with weather patterns themselves um, that have an impact, and finally, discrete events like volcanic eruptions. Well, that, that can actually drop the temperature of the Earth significantly from a single major volcanic eruption.
1: Yeah, and, you know, archaeologists and geologists have found that there are palm fossils up on the North Pole, so You know, at one time, the earth was a lot warmer than it is today. The seas were a lot higher. In other times, it's been a lot colder. And so you've got some people going, hey, this is all just, you know, just sort of the natural stuff. So can can we just get off of this? But at the same time, I think your point is the important one, which is that, you know, humans are contributing this due to the emissions. And so why do we want to do that? (laughs) Why do you want to pollute it all? Right. So you know, let's not blame humans for 100% of everything, there's some natural stuff, but let's control what we can control. And I think that that's, that's been the point of, of
0: your work. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely central and essential point. Um, because whatever you think the balance is between natural and human causes, I think it is pretty much beyond debate that humans are causing it. it is something that we do have control over.
1: Yeah, so fix what you have control over because you really can't control the sun, you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> or so. or the Earth's tilt as much as we might hope to. No, I just you know, is it tilting left or right? You know, um, we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. <laughs> we don't opine on that
1: exactly. All right, so um, so uh, you know, the, the, let's talk about the emissions and what well, you know yep. what we can control, and uh, you know, those are called greenhouse gas emissions. Talk about what those are.
0: Right. So these are gases that are emitted from human activity, industrial activity, agricultural activity, that they're called greenhouse gas emissions because when they move their way up in the atmosphere, they have the effect of basically serving like glass in a greenhouse. They capture heat and therefore increase the warming of the planet um, and you know they include uh, carbon methane methane nitrous oxide and, and and a handful of of other types of gases um so that's that's really what it is that's why they're called greenhouse gas emissions
1: okay and so you know what are the what are the various forms of
0: greenhouse gas emissions Yeah. So, I mean, they come in various forms. They come in different um, from different sources. So carbon represents about three quarters of the um, greenhouse gas emissions that comes from burning fossil fuels, among other things. But people are very familiar with that. Um, So that's burning coal, burning um, gasoline, um, burning natural gas. Right. So people are familiar with that. Um, Methane. that's, that's about 16% of the greenhouse gas emissions emitted. And that comes a lot from agriculture, right? And from 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 herds and things like that. We know how they produce methane. And then nitrous oxide, which comes um, from a variety of different industrial as well as agricultural sources. That's about 6% of emissions. Then there's another 2% or so that are assorted other gases. I would note, by the way, that some of these other gases that are emitted... Um, can have a proportionately much greater impact on on warming than carbon, but they do tend to be a smaller percentage.
1: Yeah. So, so the reason that the that carbon is so much of a focus is, as you said, it's it's seventy five percent of yeah. of these emissions. So it's not that we shouldn't think about you know some of these other forms of greenhouse gases. It's just that carbon is so much of it, and it's you know it, it's from what you said, you know, burning you know, fossil fuels, but it's also breathing, I mean, you know, when we exhale, it's yeah. carbon dioxide, and so there's just a lot that goes on, and and we've got to, we really got to just focus on that, you know, as you, so as you look across the, you know, the various ways that carbon is emitted, you know, are, is it concentrated in certain industry sectors, or,
0: you know, it's certain it's a, it's a great question, and it's actually a little tricky to answer because let me give you the sort of broad categories um, of where most of the emissions are are coming from. This is within the United States. It, it varies around the world. But about 28 percent comes from transportation of its various forms. A lot of that's automobiles and trucks. Um, electricity production. Right. So that's your power plants that are burning coal or gas. You know, so that's about twenty-five percent. Industry generally, that's around twenty-three percent. Commercial residential buildings and uses, that's thirteen percent. Agriculture, about ten percent. You know, worldwide agriculture is 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 actually higher because the percentage of the uh, economies in other countries devoted to agriculture and the the you know amount of their land devoted to agriculture is greater. But that's that gives you a sense of where you know broadly speaking um, the greenhouse gas emissions are are coming from um why I said it's a little tricky is that you know there are we're gonna probably get into this if it's okay there are different types of uh categories of emissions there' are scope one two and three so scope one emissions are what you produce at your own company in running your operations scope two are the emissions that come from the power plant from which you are purchasing um, gas uh, or purchasing electricity, sorry. And then the third category is scope three emissions, which is all the emissions that are created by people who either supply you or use your products and services. So if you think about the automotive industry, as uh, you know, car production itself is not that big of uh, creator of greenhouse gas emissions, most of their emissions come from how their cars and trucks are being used. So that's why it's sometimes a little tricky when you're talking about who are the biggest polluters, because they may not actually be the biggest emitters of greenhouse gas emissions at their own plants, but the way their products and services are used actually are big contributors. So that's...
1: Yeah. And the, and the reason that people are have broken it out into one, two, and three is because you know, you can say, well, you can only focus on, you know, what you can control in front of you. But that's only true to a certain extent. So that's scope one, right? You, know, you, you can work with your suppliers upstream or buy from, you know, people who are emitting less greenhouse gas. And, and so therefore, the focus by companies on scope two and three, which are further up the supply chain is, you know, the scope, the focus is important because yeah. it, it can help to drive change.
0: Exactly right. So, for example, with the shift to electric vehicles is a great example of that. Uh, You know, you may not use less electricity in producing or or you emit less in the way of greenhouse gas emissions creating them. But when they're out being used, you know, they're they're adding less uh, emissions to the environment.
1: Yeah. And you have to be careful with these comparisons. I have two cars. One is a plug in that yep. runs off of electricity. And the other is a, is a diesel. Which one would you say is,
0: is dirtier? Uh, probably the electric
1: one. Definitely the electric one. Exactly, because the electric one is run off of a coal-fired electric plant, whereas the diesel is clean diesel. And there's zero NOx, and it's got very high gas mileage. So you really have to be careful. As it, We have to be careful as a society that we don't just grab onto these things and you know now we've done away with diesel cars in the country, okay. But now we've put more on,
0: you know, right. on on actually. the power plants, your scope two emissions essentially, which could be well coming from a coal fired plant. So yeah, that's why this is an area where it requires people to um, address address the emissions, even in the so called clean energy area. I mean, if you think about technology, you know, sure, digital technology allows um, services and providers, uh, services to be provided virtually that can save transportation and so forth. But, you know, data farms create a lot of emissions. (laughs) They use a lot of power, right? So it's interesting, those things that might seem clean are not necessarily as clean as they might be. And I'll just add to it, you know, sometimes there are negative social impacts too, from the shift to renewable energy or using clean technologies and you got to keep that in mind as well
1: yeah I think these so this is really important that's why you have to focus not only on scope one or the things that you do directly but also scope two and three because it's all of these knock-on effects right so but you know coming back to your point you know about a fourth of the carbon emission is so so going back 75 percent of greenhouse gases is carbon about a fourth of that is energy production and so Hence the move to try to get rid of fossil fuel based electric production and move towards uh, nuclear and renewables,
0: right? Exactly. And in fact, we are seeing progress there. We are, in fact, seeing a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from the utility industry in the United States.
1: Well, if you, it, you know, and, and this is where, you, you know, you don't have to go all the way to Bright to make a serious impact. If you replace the coal fired plants with natural gas, you know, which is, An easier task than, you know, blowing up all of the, you know, all of the fossil fuel plants. But if just if you do that, you can make an enormous reduction in this and that and and I think, you know, your paper talks about that, that you, you know, let's not try to boil the ocean, let's try to, you know, let's try to take, you know, steps that are
0: positive in the direction. Absolutely right. I mean, a lot of this is harm harm reduction and not just complete elimination. It's why, you know, a lot of companies have embraced a strategy of, you know, we'll reduce emissions, but there's those things called carbon offsets where you can actually pay people to plant forests, plant trees, which take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And that helps to compensate for the carbon emissions you have. So there are a variety of strategies to to reduce greenhouse gas emissions overall.
2: Are you ready to transform your business and stay ahead of the competition? Artificial intelligence is quietly reshaping the global economy, optimizing manufacturing processes, and transforming how users interact with popular platforms. Harnessing the power of AI can exponentially enhance your business's effectiveness and efficiency. However, navigating the risks associated with this transformative technology is critical. Privacy, integrity, the economy, and humanity are all at stake. That's why the Conference Board is your go-to resource for the expertise and foresight you need to leverage AI to its fullest potential and make strategic moves that propel your business forward. Unlock the possibilities AI offers your business. Visit tcb.org AI today to access trusted insights for what's ahead and guidance on navigating the AI transformation.
1: So, Paul, you know, I, you know, some of this focus that you mentioned it earlier is on methane, which is produced by livestock and, and, you know, and other animals. And so for a long time, people were saying, well, we're going to stop eating uh, all protein that comes from animal sources, which may or may not be a good idea from a <laughs> nutritional standpoint. But now they've discovered that, uh, gee, if you change the feed for livestock, you can actually knock out the methane production, which is, which is, seems far simpler than, than let's, you know, stop having any animals in the world,
0: right? That's right. And, you know, one of the, the goals here and the, the Paris uh, Agreement, right, which is the treaty of nearly, among nearly 200 countries, is to reduce, um, or to limit the increase in uh, Earth's temperatures to 1.5 Max two degrees Celsius, and they talk about returning um, greenhouse gas emissions to pre-industrial levels. Well, that doesn't mean we go back to a pre-industrial economy. That would be disastrous, right? So we have to find ways through technology and other means to reduce greenhouse gas emissions without basically, uh, you know, ending global supply chains um, and having one, everyone just basically live in a, in a sort of pre-industrial manner, you know, never leaving home, um, not having electricity, that sort of thing. So we've got to get to those lower levels of emissions without that sort of radical, um, uh, return to an economy that no one wants to go back to.
1: Okay. So let's go back. You mentioned the Paris treaty. Let, let's go to that and, and talk about, uh, talk about the treaty because this was a multination. Essentially, a meeting that came that that came together in Paris and ended in a treaty. But what the intent was to take actions country by country that would that would lower their their uh, greenhouse gas output in order to to accomplish this. Talk about the commitments that were made and uh, who's in the treaty and who's out of the treaty.
0: Well, most of the 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 world is is in the treaty. Um, I think it's about 195, 196 signatories. The commitments were to uh, limit the global warming to two degrees Celsius and for a U.S. audience, that's 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit um, with the objective of actually limiting it to 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees um, Fahrenheit. Um, And so the, you know, the, the, the idea here is that countries on a country by country basis are supposed to take action to bring themselves in in line with that, with that, those broader um, objectives.
1: Yeah. And so essentially, they put a date of 2050 on it. And, yeah. they said, you know, let's let's try to get to zero uh, emissions by 2050, which, you know, with the intent of lowering the global temperature by the two degrees celsius which would then get us back to pre-industrial age temperatures although you know as we've said earlier those temperatures have fluctuated pretty wildly over the you know the history of the earth but it's it's trying to get to that that level that that seemed to be you know the goldilocks level for the planet
0: right right and and you know 2050 sounds a long way away it's not actually when you're thinking about the transformation that has to happen to be able to get there. But what it actually means is we've got to see greenhouse gas emissions basically peak in 2025. That's just two years away from when we're recording this podcast in order to be able to get to where we need to be further down the pike. So this, you know, um, sometimes people hear these dates, you know, of 2040, 2050, they think, ah, not my problem. Well, actually, we have to be making real progress right now
1: well it's just a generation away which is you know which is a nanosecond in the course of human history so you you're right and, and you know the the amount of change you know you can't just you can't just get a nuclear plant up overnight it it takes what 15 years from from start to finish so you, you almost need to if you're going to use nuclear as a component of this just as an example i'm not advocating for or against it but But if that's part of the deal, you've got to almost get them all approved now in order to get them in place to to meet these deadlines. So it's it's like today we need action um, just in order to, you know, for the for the lead times on these things.
0: Exactly right. And, you know, the other thing is when in corporate boardrooms, if you say, well, we're aiming for this for 2050, the folks sitting around the table are thinking, well, I'm not going to be on the board then, but you've got to, you know, that's why it's really important for companies to be thinking about their near term targets, as well as these farther out targets.
1: Yeah, I- I exactly right. Okay, so uh, let's let you, t- you mentioned companies, let's, let's go to that. Uh, why should climate change matter to companies? I mean, I know the countries, yeah, you know, the nations around the world have made these commitments. And so therefore, the companies in order to you know the companies within those countries, obviously, right. uh, a big part of that. But but why does it matter directly for the uh, stakeholders of a given company?
0: Well, well, talk about maybe four big impacts that climate change can happen and and uh, on a company. First is you know we are all affected. Companies are affected by um, by the weather events that are brought about. By climate change. So that can be wildfires and droughts, rising sea levels, biodiversity loss, a whole lot of uh, natural effects that affect the companies physically, right? Their own operations. They can certainly affect their supply chain. So to the extent that climate change is reducing, is killing off species, right? Reducing biodiversity, you know, half of our global GDP is dependent on biodiversity. So if you eliminate the species Um, that provide the raw materials for products and services while you've got supply chain disruptions, you know, you you can threaten the whole future of your business. So that's another impact. There's another place where companies need are are affected by climate change. And frankly, that's regulation. You know, when we surveyed CEOs earlier this year. One of the top concerns that they have about this whole area is increased regulation, which is whether it's from the SEC or now, particularly from the European Union, coming out with quite strict uh, disclosure regulations and eventually compliance regulations aimed at climate. So that's the regulatory impact. And then, of course, there's the transition to renewable energies, moving away from fossil fuels toward more renewable energy sources. That's that is a trillion, multi-trillion dollar effort that's going to have a huge impact on on companies' um, operations.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, well, there's a lot there to unpack, but yeah. uh, you know that this whole regulatory area, uh, you, you know, you talked about in terms of disclosures and why companies need to act, but. But regulation plays a big factor in meeting these goals as well, because a lot of the changes that need to be made are subject to, you know, pretty onerous regulations. So talk about talk about the role that the government can play here, just in terms of simplifying processes.
0: Yeah. Well, look, some of this is just the transition to renewable energy is going to require um, changes in 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 all sorts of operations and in the sources of electric and so electricity and so just the permitting process that currently happens whether it's at the local level or at the um, you know the state and federal level you know there's a lot that uh, government can do to either uh, facilitate this transition or to impede it you know we've recently done a roundtable on sustainability in the healthcare sector that is a highly regulated area and just the ability, you know, it it took a long time for hospitals to be able to get the ability to use renewable energy as a backup source instead of um, fossil fuel powered generators. Right. So there's a whole set of regulations that have sort of codified existing operational practices that make the transition to renewable energy much tougher. So it's not just, you know, the direct regulations of of electricity or carbon emissions. It's a lot of the other regulations that exist applicable to energies that are sort of freezing in place their current way of operating um, that will impede the transition to renewables.
1: So businesses should really be working with governments, local and federal, you know, around the world to try to to try to simplify these in order to to, to make their goals. But let's go back yeah. to inside the company itself. Well, how, if you're the, if you were a CEO today running a company, what what should you be doing as it relates to? Global warming. In, in, you know, in addition to the reporting requirements, which which of course they have to do, what actions would you re, re, would would you suggest they take?
0: You know, I I think I would first um, think about climate as part a core part, but just part of a broader um, set of issues, we call them ESG issues, but let's talk, let's phrase it in terms of environmental and social responsibility. I would say, you know, what you want to look at is where your company is now on environmental and social issues that are critical to your business. Where are you today on the areas where you can really have the most impact? Where do you want to go? Where do you need to go because of regulation? Where do you want to go? And then how do you get there? So essentially, you build environmental and social considerations into your basic strategic business planning processes, right? So that your company is operating not only in the long-term interests of its shareholders, but also in the long-term interests of its other stakeholders, its customers, employees, society at large, and the natural environment. So essentially, you're building sustainability, including climate, into your strategy. And then where does that play out? It plays out in three big areas. It plays out in the products and services you sell to the market and that you buy from the market. So it plays out in the marketplace. It plays out in your own operations. Um, how, you know, Are we running in an environmentally responsible manner? It plays out in terms of your workforce. And finally, it plays out in terms of the positions you take in the public space. Um, with respect to um, public policy matters interacting as you just said with government regulators so I would make sure that you 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 know you don't have this sort of separate sustainability strategy you build sustainability into your business strategy and then have it play out in the marketplace the workplace and the public space
1: so it sounds to me like first of all businesses need to set their objectives what are we trying to accomplish by what date and and you know, it, it it seems logical to um, to align the goal of you know a carbon free or a or a greenhouse gas free by 2020. So therefore, it, then you got to work backwards. And first of all, it requires data. You have to figure yeah. out okay, and that's scope one, two, and three, which is why we went through that. Right. What are you what are you emitting and how? And even if you're not producing anything, you got an office. It, you're doing you're you're emitting uh, carbon. So. Uh, you got to measure it what what do you have yeah. now and um and then and then to your point you got you have to say okay now what steps do we need to take pretty quickly here in order to back it down in in scope 1 2 and 3 uh, emissions so there's a lot of
0: work there's a lot of work yeah what i described sounded low well i can do that no but there's a whole lot of work like even uh, apart from reporting you should know what your you know companies should know what their scope 1 and scope 2 emissions are scope 3 is you know it's much harder to estimate, but it is possible to to do that. Um, but you know what? One thing we're hearing from companies is, you know, not that the SEC may require you or the European Union may require you to report on your scope one uh, emissions. Companies are realizing that, well, you know what? That monitor hasn't worked for a few years, so people actually have a lot of physical work to do to make sure that they're tracking their emissions appropriately. And then, of course, you know, just managing the massive amount of data here is a huge challenge for companies.
1: But I think you know, it, it, in most cases, if 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 companies really document where the emissions are coming from. And the plan and plan, you know, their capital investments to eliminate them, they're gonna actually find out that they're gonna reduce their costs. So this isn't like, you know, let's just let's just destroy the PL of the company and deliver no shareholder value. You can actually deliver more shareholder value because there's a lot of waste in the, in this process as well.
0: That's exactly right, Steve. So look, there's you know when we did the survey of um it's called the C-suite Outlook Survey so and I'd encourage everyone to go look at our our C-suite Outlook report the conference book put out earlier this year you know f- about 48 49% of CEOs around the world see the transition to renewable energy as good for their business in fact actually think it's it's going to be proved to be an even higher percent of CEOs will come to this view because you can in fact have less expensive and more reliable energy uh, for your company. So there's, and, you know, that's that's a transition to renewables and just reducing your energy usage can be a huge cost saving. So again, like mentioning the healthcare sector, you know, hospitals have found ways to significantly reduce their, their energy costs here uh, that can result in a lot more money available for patient care.
1: Yeah. And You know, then we can share it across industries and and across the globe to help uh, help accelerate this. So there, you know, there's benefit, you know, to the globe and the broader, you know, the the broader um, climate issues, but also directly uh, to everybody's companies.
0: Yeah. And that's what's really interesting about this area, because. It used to be that climate and sustainability were siloed within companies. You know, it's just some people over there, maybe they thought of as tree huggers, you know, who cared about this stuff. Now, sustainability has gone mainstream and each company, you know, most companies are saying, okay, how do we build this into our business? But the really interesting thing about this is you're building sustainability into a business that makes sense for your company, but you've got to do this actually with the broader picture in mind of what we're trying to accomplish environmentally, socially, economically and you know we actually have a set of roundtable convenings coming up that are focusing exactly on that how companies can set their ESG goals with this broader picture in mind because it's different from setting your ordinary business goals because you do have this broader environmental and social picture
1: very well put paul washington thanks for joining us today
0: thanks so much steve Real pleasure to be with you.
1: And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in economics, geopolitics, ESG, public policy, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with everybody who wants to reduce their carbon output. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board.
0: You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast
1: by the Conference Board.